I'm Ken Rogers. This is self-defense. We're going to test out some self-defense items. we got pepper spray, electric cattle prods, a sword, I guess, nunchucks, and bats. We're going to see... We're going to see which one of these items is best for the consumer self-defense. Is pepper spray. Give me all your money! Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Doctor Who, the movie. Doctor Who colon the movie. Yes. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and co-pilot down the path of the contrary, Julio Oliveira. Julio, long time coming. If I'm not mistaken, this episode has been on the books before, had been on the books before the world changed forever with the yep. pandemic known as COVID-19. That's correct? That is correct. It's a pre-pandemic uh, request, I, I, I guess. This was, here's the thing, uh, and you will soon realize this, listeners, in case you didn't uh, figure out from before, but I, Alex and I, we're not Doctor Who people. I think they call themselves uh, Whovians. Uh, we're not. But our friend, fellow podcaster, as we call him on every episode, Hans Rothgieser, the man behind our logo, he is a Doctor Who fan. I I don't know what kind of Doctor Who fan he is because I've gathered that there's different uh, factions of fandom when it comes to Doctor Who. But I know he is somebody who's like steeped in the mythology. And at the one point, he did something really nice for us. I don't know what, I don't remember what it was because it's been so long. <laughs> but his only request was like, hey, there's this Doctor Who movie that's kind of reviled by by the fandom or at least by a fraction of the fandom. So uh, you guys should do it. And I was like, of course, Hans, anything you say. And then the world burned. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is that it was, uh, a, it's a movie that's hard to find. It, it's like, if it's streaming, it's not streaming in easy-to-access places. So I was like, that's fine. I'll just buy the DVD, and then Alex and I will watch it. And the DVD was not like easily available either. It was like I found the one copy that was not over $100 or something, you know? And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, not buying, this, <laughs> I'm not buying two you copies. You lent it to me, and it's like a four-disc. I didn't dip into anything else except the movie, but is it like a comprehensive documentary on the history of Doctor Who? No, it's more like, uh, I think it's four discs, right? It, it's like yeah. 
Doctor Who, as you probably know now that you've watched the movie, Alex, <laughs> Doctor Who, whenever he dies, he just reincarnates into, like, he has a different, becomes a different person. And mm-hmm. so throughout the history of the planet, <laughs> there's been uh, several people uh, playing Doctor Who. And so that, that this, I guess, collection, this set that I ended up buying, which was, like, the cheapest way to acquire this movie, has, like, iconic adventures from, like, I think four different Doctors. Uh, the eighth Doctor, which is the one we're going to be talking about today, you know, he has just this movie. <laughs> this movie was it. <laughs> He's a. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this movie is his introduction, and also basically that was it. Like when the next time that there was a Doctor Who on screen, it was somebody else. <laughs> um, there, there's a little more to it that uh, you know we can get into in real talk. You have the movie and, and that set that I dropped off at your house. You know, there's that the the movie for the eighth Doctor, and then there's movies from like previous generations i guess of doctors um but anyway it was like okay i wasn't gonna buy two of those i was like i'll just buy one and because back in the day we watched almost everything together so i was like that was a big deal and then the pandemic happened and we were in lockdown and i was like well i told hans as as soon as this all blows off i'll just get together with alex and we'll do the episode and uh and then of course we're still (laughs) We're still waiting it out. We're still waiting to see what happens in Texas. Anyway, what we did is, you know, what you just alluded to. I watched the movie, and then I dropped it off at your house, and then you watched the movie. (laughs) To make things even more interesting, I watched the movie like two weeks ago. So, (laughs) you're going to be helping me uh, collect my thoughts. I I have a... A solid page of notes that also will help me. But there was a lot of just, as I'm sure you experienced, you know, not being a a Doctor Who aficionado. There was a lot of stuff that was like, hmm, I hope I remember this when we we record. Yeah, and that's just go ahead and get this out in the open. Um, I started to try to do some research on Doctor Who. Uh, to try to kind of familiarize myself and get a sense of what, what this was and where we were going. And then I saw, I knew it had legs and I knew it had a pretty rich history. I didn't realize the show went back all the way to 1963. So <laughs> to me, it immediately felt like watching, I don't know, Star Trek into darkness and trying to catch up really quick on seeing what it all is. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to watch this movie, uh, you know, objectively see what it's about. And then we'll record. And then hopefully in the second half, Julio maybe can give me a little bit of context to some things here. And it worked out fine. I mean, we'll get to it here in just a minute, but uh, obviously it would have helped if I knew some things, but uh, I mean... <laughs> or would it? I mean, I don't know. That I, we'll get into it because, uh, like I said, going by Hans's words when he first brought up this movie, he referred to it as this sort of a black sheep, black stain in the Doctor Who's history. But I was looking for quotes earlier, and, you know, I like to get negative quotes uh, when the movie's rotten, and then fresh quotes for the second half, you know, when the movie's rotten. And and there were plenty of fresh quotes, uh, you know, from Letterboxd users. <laughs> so there are people that really like this movie, just like there are people that really dislike this movie. So, I mean, I, I, I do wonder if uh, some of the people that dislike it could be that they dislike it because they're familiar with the history. And then there are people like us that come in baggage-free and maybe are able to enjoy it, if we enjoy it. Uh, that is not for us to say just yet. So if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, you've picked a convoluted episode to tune into. Not convoluted, just a, it's a little bit out of the ordinary. Well, you're also a probably a Doctor ordinary. Who fan, and that means that you love convoluted <laughs> shit. Yeah, and as Julio and I said, we're not Whoville 
what what is it? I think Hoobians? it's Hoobians. Well, then they're just like, well, fuck this. I don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> but if you're still with us, first of all, thank you so much for giving us a chance. I uh, hope you enjoy what you hear. For our returning listeners, you all know the drill. Give us a minute here while we explain what it is we do. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, usually about 85% and above. And what we'll do is we'll take that movie down a peg. Uh, aiming to show that Rotten Tomatoes is a flawed system and that sometimes the movies that are highly rated uh, could be from critics, you know, sweeping some things under the rug or, you know, just putting a plot together themselves when a movie's riddled with plot holes or, you know, maybe overlooking just horrendous performances. That's what we're here to do. Is we're here to find the negative in those movies and bring the truth to light. Conversely, We'll find a rotten movie on Rotten Tomatoes. We typically shoot for about 30% and below, uh, and we'll make a case for the positive merit in that film. Maybe, you know, great under-celebrated performances or, you know, stories and aspects that were risky and just didn't land and things that should be celebrated about these movies. Um, a, a good week to call this out. We've been doing this now for seven years. Seven years. On the, calling out Rotten Tomatoes and the unbelievably porcelain-like fragile community that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the fans, uh, now for the first time in the MCU's history feel the need to explain to one another what Rotten Tomatoes actually means. <laughs> We've been doing that for a while, so you, you can go back in our archives and you know make up your mind for yourself. Uh, find some of our more celebrated films or more of our notorious bombs that we covered and see what it's about. But Julio, that all goes to comprise the first half of this podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Uh, if listeners want to know how we really feel about what we're talking about, in this case, Doctor Who, the movie from 1996, they just have to hang around for the second half of the podcast. That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we just drop the game, drop the pretenses, and we tell you exactly how we feel about the movie. Many times, we don't even know how the other one feels. I, I, it, this is one of those instances where we've never watched this movie before, we've never talked about this movie before, other than the fact that we've been meaning to do it for over a year, and... Uh, and we haven't two. really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I haven't really. I don't know what Alex felt when he was watching it. I don't know anything. Uh, sometimes he shoots me texts halfway through watching something, but this time he didn't do that, and uh, I didn't either. So really, really curious to see what happens once we get to real talk. Um, also, just it, for those of you who have no idea what Alex is referring to, because maybe you're Doctor Who fans and uh, but not MCU fans. Uh, Oh, yeah, I threw shade and didn't even explain what I was talking about. People are having, I guess, a sort of meltdown over the Eternals. Is Does it have a rotten score or just not a, a certified fresh score? Well, you know, once you go below, like, is it 70%, it becomes rotten. And so I believe, last I saw, it's what we would refer to as a gray area movie. I think it's like 50% or in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I did I guess people just thought the bottom was never going to fall out and <laughs> even more so it it just you know a little detour into some real talk here it just is what we always talk about it's people just reading it and not really understanding what that means yep. and especially with superhero movies it's inevitable that one of them is going to be too much for some mainstream critics and whatnot well especially favorite... it's it's directed by Chloe Zhao which you know yes she just won an Oscar but she won an Oscar for a movie that was pretty art house so well my favorite thing too is like people finding reviews that call out um, or are critical of some of the progressive aspects of it. 
and not not saying that I agree with that, but my what I found funny is like the outrage. It's like these types of reviews have existed <laughs> since the, the first movie was ever made, and you know it's just people being in that bubble that they're in, and it exists. I, I hate just to bully Marvel fans because I do that with you enough, Julio, but <laughs> it um it just goes to show some people get so deep in their bubble that they don't understand that these things there's a universality to these things it's it's entertaining to watch kind of from afar but i saw someone call out like a a review that was demonizing the the plot of it or something and the the, the commenter was like this is so offensive and disgusting and i'm like man you should hear gene siskel's review of crash if you really want someone to cut a movie down or robert yeah, roger ebert excuse me his legendary promo on Friday the 13th part four <laughs> it's uh it's just what it is and that's what we're here to do to if we can help if one of y'all is listening to this right now that is one of those people that was kind of confused by grading or uh just you know affected by what we're talking about we're here to guide you and help you understand that a 50 percent rating on Rotten Tomato just literally means every other person said yeah see it <laughs> and so it's not it's not bad it's it's no it just invites discussion and speaking of bubbles alex so there's there's just one more kink to this doctor who movie rather, well, i was about to say i was gonna throw it to you yeah because this one deserves uh, this is for hans of course he has been endlessly supportive and provided us with so much awesome content so we would gladly walk over the the cinematic coals for him here and not that this was much of a struggle but it just it does kind of fall outside of the confines of what we typically do julio so why don't you give the rundown here of how this falls into the you know the gimmick of what we do and how it, it, it'll fall in contrarian's canon well so as far as doctor who the movie goes it actually doesn't have a tomato meter score like as far as the, the critical score either it doesn't have enough critic reviews under Run Tomatoes, or it doesn't have any at all. Uh, I didn't click through to see, because what I focused on was the, the one rotten score which that it has, which is an audience score of 48%, which is not, like we were just saying, <laughs> 48% is not, it's almost, you know, halfway there. And it just means that, it doesn't mean that the quality of the movie is 48%, it just means that about half the people that logged on their, their scores there, said no, and the other half said yes. But 48%. And also, for the last time, a 48% rating does not mean that 48% of the movie is good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, for the concept of this show, for our gimmick, 48%, it's a green splotch, which means it's rotten. So I'm, we're going to treat it as rotten. We did that recently with... Um, Chaz Fisher, another longtime supporter of the show, when we watched Getting Square, I want to say Getting Square didn't have a tomato meter score, but it had a fresh audience score. So we went with fresh. Now we're doing the opposite. We're going rotten with the audience. And uh, so we're going to talk during Contreras Corner. We're going to talk about this movie as if it was the greatest thing ever. And then once we get to real talk, you'll find out if we really meant it or not. That's right. If you're a contributor, if you provide us content or you're one of our patrons, we will bend the rules of the contrarians for you. That's what we're here to do. We will bend time and reality like the doctor. Like the doctor. I My notes, because I kept referring to the female character as the doctor in my notes, and then they got confused, so I had to go back and make sure I got it changed correctly. Uh, all right, Julio. So typically at this point, you'll bring up some uh, quotes from critics that 
you know, went into providing whatever the tomato meter score is for the respective movie that we're doing. Since we're mixing it up here a little bit, where did you pull your quotes from? Uh, so, I, I mean, I probably, I could have gone down the the Run Tomatoes way and just pulled uh, comments from the audience, from the people that, that posted, you know, that contributed to the 48%. But we hardly ever go to Run Tomatoes. I, I find that the the reviews in Letterboxd are a little more, they're punchier. So they're a lot more fun to pull quotes from. So we have three negative quotes from Letterboxd. Just mm. regular users, people like you and me and most of our listeners. They don't, they're not <laughs> the uh, fucking PBS. <laughs> <laughs> they're not, uh, what I mean is they're not tomato meter or tomato approved critics. You know, they're not Kip Mooney. As much as I would have liked to quote Kip Mooney on a, on a Doctor Who episode. So here we go. Alice gives the movie two and a half stars and says, same feelings as the fourth season of Torchwood. Never let American TV touch Doctor Who related products, please. I feel sorry for Paul McGann because I think he could have been a great doctor. Do you know what Torchwood is, Alex? I was about to say, I have no idea what a lot of those words mean. <laughs> so, so breaking it down, Torchwood, if I am not mistaken, is a Doctor Who spinoff, which now based on this quote, I'm assuming is an American production, or at least the fourth season might be an American production. And so Alice is saying that uh, the fourth season of Torchwood was made in America and it sucked just like this movie, which was also made in America. <laughs> and Paul McGann is, you know, our doctor in this movie. Next, Snuffle Skin gives it two stars and says, this was the last thing we ever got out of the franchise until 2005, and it was just a long-winded rant about the American healthcare system. I mean, that is correct, but it's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm failing to see the uh, the issue here. Is he playing? Does he have a British accent in this movie? Paul McGann? Is the doctor British when he becomes the new doctor? Uh, kind of. It's kind of faint. He's kind of in and out of it. Okay, so he is, I guess, for all intents and purposes, uh, a tourist having to go to the hospital here in America. All right. And then finally, Quinn gives it one star and says, this is why we don't let Americans write Doctor Who. Paul McGann, innocent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, lots of uh, Paul McGann love when I was just going through Letterboxd checking out reviews, uh, whether people hated or loved the movie, most people seem to really like Paul McGann's take on the Doctor. I don't think that either of us... Well, you definitely didn't have any any points of comparison. I've seen a couple other incarnations of the Doctor, so I can fill you in when the time is appropriate. But, but that's it. Alex, take us into Contrarian's Corner. All right. So Doctor Who, colon, the television movie, <laughs> premiered on the Fox Network in America on May 14th of 1996. Uh, it stars Paul McGon as the eighth Doctor and also Sylvester McCoy as the seventh Doctor. Uh, we have Daphne Ashbrook as Dr. Grace Holloway, uh, Yi Ji So as Chang Lee, and Eric Roberts as the Master. No, not the P.T. Anderson seminal <laughs> 2012 or 2011 drama. Was that tw- no, 2012. I was right the first time. But we have bad guy Eric Roberts. And as the opening credits say, guest, uh, special guest star Eric Roberts. I made sure to take note of that. The Doctor Who story starts off, we get a very brief uh, explanation or exposition about Planet, uh, planet Sar- Sacro, Sicaro. Uh, <laughs> Sicario. And, 
Sicario? It's not no, Sicario. I, no. Okay. We get some exposition, and the doctor's traveling through, I guess, the the phone booth is like their time traveling device. Mm-hmm. It, I, that's how I took it. And it's like a humongous space station inside of it. Um, the opening credits are just so deliciously 1996, though, with like the lasers and special effects and whatnot. And I mean, this whole my, movie is just pretty, pretty entrenched in the 90s aesthetic. Which I, I clearly guess. a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my main takeaways. In a good way. I mean, I, I think that uh, if, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that Alex and I, we appreciate the 90s. The 90s sheen, the 90s aesthetic, the 90s fashion, and now the 90s Doctor Who. Yeah, my note here, absolutely a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> and special guest star Eric Roberts, as I said. I wonder if that was in his contract that you know <laughs> I have to be designated the special guest star. Um, so this... Time Machine lands, and the Seventh Doctor gets out of it, Sylvester McCoy, and he's just caught in the crossfire here. He's in the middle of a shootout in 1999 <laughs> San Francisco, where uh, Chang Lee, I guess, is up to some gang activity of some sort. As it happened in the 90s. Yeah, as was the style at the time. My main thing when this started, I have a note here that says, what is happening? But <laughs> it's already... It's already established that, you know, we're not about this world. One of the things that I immediately just appreciated, uh, because this was like, you know, a big thing, this would have been a primetime event that people watched on Fox television uh, in May of 96, and a good amount of them probably had no idea what the fuck this was. Um, do you do you remember made-for-television events like that? Was that a thing in Peru where movies were made specifically for TV and got like a big promotional campaign behind them? No, Alex. <laughs> Peru made while I was living there. Peru was lucky if they if we made like a movie a year. It was not for TV. It was okay. I mean, we eventually we got you know the made for TV event, made for American TV events, and you know they would trickle down. We had event television. Uh, I don't know. Okay, it, 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 tell me something that would have been that, and I will tell you how it played in Peru if I saw it. Like, oh, can you think of like a a big made for TV movie event? Like Lonesome Dove is one that immediately comes to mind. Okay, that's that's a little too far back. Probably something um, like sci-fi. I mean, I don't know. To be fair, Lonesome Dove was a um, miniseries is the phrase I was looking for there. Yeah, now that I'm on the spot, of course I'm blanking on these, <laughs> but there were things that were before Lifetime type mm-hmm. shit where it would be you know Fox or NBC or this Sunday on NBC – the made-for-television event. I remember there was a, a, a Shining that was made like in the late 90s, early 2000s. That was a big deal. Oh, the Steven um, Weber one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there's like 8 million Christmas carols that were made for television <laughs> events. So, <laughs> But there were things like this. My point is, where I was trying to go, is it's very conceivable that there was an audience watching this that had no idea what Doctor Who was. They just saw a commercial for it and be like, hey, that's Julia Roberts' brother. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> and uh, it starts and does not spoon feed you. And we've talked about that in a lot of movies we've done, how it can be a blessing or a curse, positive, negative, pro, con, what have you. And in this case, the story is so convoluted that I respect that they just said, fuck it, we're not really giving you too much going into this. <laughs> You got to keep up or you're going to fall behind. Yeah, I think that uh, based on my very limited experience with Doctor Who, what to do otherwise would have betrayed the spirit of the of the franchise. I, I think that if Doctor Who tried to explain to you the universe of Doctor Who in every episode, then you would only have like maybe 20 minutes 
to actually tell a, a, a story every every time. So my impression of Doctor Who as a TV show is just that you go in and it's like, all right, you just hit the ground running and pick up what you can. <laughs> and if you're one of those people that was watching from the beginning, that's awesome. And if you're one of those people that's watching for the first time, well, at some point you're going to have to stop and do some research. And thank God for Tough the internet. kitties. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You you better like the way that uh, these people look, because that's what's going to keep you going for a while. I get it. Part of the fun of watching this movie was trying to see it through your eyes, because like I said, neither of okay. us is Whovians, but you have even less of an idea of what Doctor Who was. Like my, my wife has watched a fair amount of Doctor Who, so I kind of have the very basics down through osmosis, basically. Uh, but like you see this guy get into a... <laughs> phone booth and travel through time and then land in in the United States in the 90s and get shot down. <laughs> it's like, I just like, welcome to America. Basically, and I, I admire that you were able to recognize the spirit in which this movie was made and just went with it. Yeah, this guy just got killed and it's it's brutal too. Like I have zero connection to this doctor, the seventh doctor. This is the first time I, I was... He just like steps out of the phone book. He's like, hello. <laughs> just gets like lit up. <laughs> but from, from what I understand, this guy was the doctor for several years. Like this is, you know, the seventh doctor. He was oh. he had a show or something. So Oh, so if like you were into the shit and watching this, this would have been a shocker. Exactly. Can, can you imagine? Like that's that's a bold move. I don't know how much the previews gave away. Uh, I don't know how many people knew that you were gonna watch the seventh doctor die and the eighth doctor take over in, in this movie. But this would be the equivalent of like, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, try to think of a show like, you know, next season of Ozark. Uh, or there's like an Ozark movie before between season three and season four, and they kill Marty, <laughs> Oof. and then he reincarnates as I don't know someone else, Will Arnett. Uh, yeah, th- that's that's pretty ballsy. I, I I enjoyed that. So yeah, as we said, the uh, time machine, the phone booth stops. The Seventh Doctor gets out, and he's caught in crossfire. He gets shot. Uh, this gang takes off. Chang Lee goes to tend to him. In his last words to Chang Lee, he says, you have to stop it. And we look up and like in the keyhole of the time machine, this, it turns out to be more like of a, a spirit, like a gaseous thing, but it, it, it was like a goo initially, right? Yeah. Like the, like the Venom symbiote. Yeah. Secret World of Alex Mack shit. Like there's literally <laughs> like the same special effects as Secret World of Alex Mack with some of like the, the puddle and whatnot. But so he knows an evil has gotten loose. We see that in the very beginning when he's traveling through time and space, this like safe that it's in cracks open and it leaks out. So this bad spirit is out to conceivably conquer the world or something needs to be stopped. I did remember Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Obviously I wasn't alive when that movie came out, but that's a, that was a (laughs) Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is like a very popular horror movie. That was a made for television uh, event movie. And like, it's not, you know, blood soaked or like a gore fest but the mask in it is just so fucking terrifying and there's these like shots in the movie that are very very scary so i imagine many sleepless nights for youngins across the country that stayed up to watch that and that super 80, nice. yeah, 81 81 was the year halloween premiered on television as well if i'm not mistaken i believe it aired on tv for the first time to promote halloween too uh and coming out in theaters anyway Doctor gets shot, taken to the hospital. Uh, the goo is on the loose, 
Eric Roberts is the ambulance driver or like the orderly that helps load up ambulances. He's like friendly with Chang Lee. It's like they know each other. So it's like, how often is this dude in the back of an ambulance? This kid, he's maybe like 16 or 17. And maybe he's just friendly. He's just friendly with everybody. Yeah. And sadly, if he's in a neighborhood ridden with gang violence, it's off. It's probably often that Eric Roberts characters out there. Um, so he gets the doctor that is gets the emergency room. They have to perform surgery on him as he's been shot twice. The initial X-ray shows that he has two hearts, and they keep chalking it up to being um, a double image, like mm-hmm. an imposed image on it. They call uh, what do we say her name was Grace Holloway, the cardiologist who's on call and she's in the middle of a <laughs> an, opera. an opera at the time. Yeah. Uh, how how do you like that single tear? Oh, beautiful. With her, like, <laughs> opera glasses up. So she's called in. She's still in her dress, but she gets there to perform surgery. The doctor's on the gurney. She's about to, like, you know, start. She's confused by what's going on. He, like, sits up Undertaker style. He's like, no, I'm not human. I'm not human. And then they just take him out with anesthesia like he was a human. So you would think, like, his body would be able to reject it, but I guess it just shows the breakthroughs in medical science that, they're equipped even for non-human beings. So this this whole sequence too, it's pretty terrifying. And I don't know that if I'd watched this when it came out, I don't think that would have grasped the, I guess the overlap with the real world, the the idea that we give enough power to the medical field that they can perform surgery on you, even when you're standing up and saying, please don't. Right. The seventh doctor, he doesn't want this to happen. And they operate on him against his will and they end up killing him. Mm. That's the kind of shit that happens, you know, on a regular basis to people that are not space aliens or time lords or whatever, you know, the doctor is. They like send like a probe into his chest to find a try to find his heart or some shit and they break off the probe and is in him. So that that's the thing to like get it out and it's like it's still in him. Their tech was telling them that he had two hearts, and they're like, oh, no, it must be a glitch. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe try again, take another x-ray? I don't know. It's like I understand that if you were to uh, to sue the hospital, sue the doctors, the defense, the legal defense is going to be like, well, we're trying to save his life, and we didn't really have time to, <laughs> to take a deep breath and think things through. Uh, but it was still, you don't like the, you know, that's the kind of thing that you don't want to think about. Like, if I ever got shot... And uh, there was just something serious with me. And there was nobody to advocate for me. And it was just me versus all the doctors in the room. I lose. <laughs> They're going to yeah. end up doing what they think is best for me. And what I say has zero uh, zero value. I mean, maybe things have changed in the 90s, but I, I don't think so. And, but anyway, my point is that, that there's a pretty heavy thing to tackle, to kind of like sneak in into this movie Uh you know, which is a movie about time travel and just generally like fantastical stuff. You'd think that the real threat, or, or you know, the big threat is eventually the, the what they call it, the master. You know, this this mm-hmm. creature that ends up possessing Eric Roberts. But but there's plenty of things fucked up in this world before the master even showed up. Oh yeah, it's a damning uh, condemnation on the American medical system. But uh, to her credit, uh, Doctor Holloway is very upset, and she says she wasn't adequately prepared, she didn't get to see his x-rays, and that she tried to do her best, but the system failed her. So you do have some sympathy for Dr. Holloway. Um, my note here says, you can tell where the commercials were, God bless. <laughs> and you can tell that throughout it. And that such a small thing, but just fills me with such a warmth. 
uh, the way they would build up or there'd be like a dramatic cliffhanger they build up to some you know big moment it was outstanding uh so the, the doctor goo. flatlines <laughs> the doctor flatlines and you cut the commercial you know i don't know the grand slam at denny's or something once again denny's grand slam breakfast is at the remarkably low price of a dollar 99 so when this premiered i believe i said it was may 16th when it aired in america may 14th of 1996 looks like flipper would have been on its way to theaters <laughs> As was Mission Impossible. So, you know, a Twister would have been in theaters and The Craft also. So, you know, the like you said, the Dr. Flatlines and they come to Burger King to get your Twister cup today. <laughs> you know, it's kids like getting Mountain Dew. Whoa. The cup changes colors. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Paxton, Terry Hatcher, collect them all. And then you come back to the movie and uh, Dr. Grace is just crying. And you're like, it's not your fault. <laughs> And then the voiceover. This segment brought to you by Mountain Dew. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Mountain Dew was that popular in the mid '90s. I guess Mountain Dew's always been around, but Surge. like I've never really cared about it. Surge was a very small window of time. Surge was like '98 to '99, and nothing else. It was like <laughs> here, here it is. Drink it up. It was like at every boy's birthday party. It was sponsored everywhere. WCW sponsored it, and then it just disappeared. But yeah, to your point. Yeah, this uninterrupted <laughs> presentation of Doctor Who is brought to you by Denny's Grand Slam. <laughs> We're back though, back in business. Doc is taken and loaded in uh, by into the corners. Um, his toe's been tagged, and he's going to be locked in the freezer. the The goo is on the loose. It goes into what appears to be Eric Roberts' jacket, uh, his bomber jacket that he wears as a. Um, what is, what is that position called when you're not the ambulance driver, but you help load up the bodies? Uh, roadie? Are you an, can you be an ambulance roadie? Or EMT roadie? Who helps load ambulances? It's, uh, oh, it just pulls up Eric Roberts' Wikipedia page. <laughs> Teamster? Are you a hospital I guess teamster? a paramedic, an emergency medical technician. Mm, maybe. Um, it doesn't yeah. seem like that seems like too big a title for. Well, I guess we never really <laughs> see him do much because you know he he's no longer himself. He's just fucking Eric Roberts. <laughs> it's not like he took training on how to be a paramedic. He just stands there and he's like, uh, "Do you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that episode with Nathan Fillion where he thinks he's a cop just because like he read how to do it. That's like how. Uh, Eric Roberts is in this, but the the goo's there. It turns into like a snake, and now it's becoming more of like a solid object, and it goes into his jacket for safekeeping. So, as I mentioned, um, they take the doctor down with the rest of the stiffs, and this was like my biggest audible reaction to the movie. Fucking Will Sasso is the guy that works. <laughs> I didn't recognize the, him. He does a bit, right? Is, is he the guy that's throwing the the costume party, or is going to go to the costume party? Yeah, and he's the one that's watching Frankenstein. Okay. Mad TV's Will Sasso. Uh, I mean, he's definitely dropped some LBs since this point in his life, but um, hey, I'm not making fun of him. That's a compliment. And I was just saying, because I didn't recognize him at all. And uh, mm. to be fair, I don't know that I would recognize him in, you know, if I saw him in a movie today. I, I mostly, I recognize the name. Is, um, is he in uh, Let's Go to Prison? Is he the other guy? Oh, I don't know. What the hell is Let's Go to Prison? A movie with Will Arnett and another guy. Or maybe. Dax Shepard? No. I don't know. Will Sasso, I think the biggest movie he made 
on a mainstream level was uh, he played Curly in that Three Stooges that came out a few years okay, ago. Okay, I knew that we had brought him up at some point recently. Very funny guy. Very funny guy. I never quite thought that Mad TV was very funny, uh, but he was really funny. Specifically, the skit <laughs> Kenny Rogers Jackass, where he was just Kenny Rogers, like doing jackass stunts oh god it was fucking hilarious like it sound i can just see the blank stare on your face right now through time and space but i think you're worth for it will sass was funny i'm sure <laughs> he's funny in this in this i don't know five minute bit that he gets oh it's awesome because he's clearly like still wet behind the ears i mean this was 96 so this would have been may of 96 so this would have been shot in 95 and he seems so eager for this opportunity and he's not like overdoing it, but he's clearly like, all right, I can, all I can do when I'm on screen is give my best. And that's what he's doing here. A potential early front runner for the Embry, in fact. And, uh, I did catch, I think he's billed as William Sasso in this. And like we've talked about before, <laughs> like with, um, Paul Steven Rudd, like seeing movies of people just starting off when they were tr tinkering with their name, that a very, very, um, innocuous, simple pleasure in life. So he's there. He um, is keeping an eye on the body. He loads him up. He like talks to the body. He's got like this whole shtick about him. He's like, hey, sweet dreams, and he puts him in the freezer. Uh, we go back to Eric Roberts' apartment where we see now that basically this spirit or this evil goo that is now a snake, it basically becomes Jason goes to hell because it jumps <laughs> in his mouth and then possesses him while he's sleeping. So was your reaction to this development to go, oh, no, Eric Roberts – now you're bad, or was it like, fuck yeah, Eric Roberts is the bad guy in this movie? I had kind of assumed he was the bad guy because my limited knowledge of Doctor Who, I just assumed Doctor Who was the good guy <laughs> and that, you know, he would need a nemesis. And the devilish good looks of Eric Roberts got to pay off this way. He so. needed a nemesis besides the, the American healthcare system. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, much like Jason Goes to Hell, or even um, I think they do this bit in Freddy versus Jason also, or the spirit goes in your mouth and it possesses your body that way. Was surprised to see, like I mentioned, Will Sasso back in the hospital was watching Frankenstein. They actually commissioned shots from that real movie. Julio, how do you feel about this? So what happened here is that the movie is coinciding with what's happening in real time. So you see like, you know, Frankenstein's monster, his hand like moving up and down. Mm -hmm. And then we see the doctor's hand moving up and down. How do you like when things like this play out uh, in terms of, you know, mirror it becomes like on a meta level. I just watched Scream over the weekend, mm -hmm. and I think of the part in that where Randy's watching Halloween, and he's like, "Don't go in there." And then you slowly see Ghostface coming in the room behind him. <laughs> what uh, what are you, what are your thoughts on little uh, moments like this in film? I think that the 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 key word there is little, right? If you don't overdo it, then this is great. Also, in I think on a bigger context of this specific movie, like you said earlier, I think that there were a lot of people watching this when it first aired that were not familiar with the mythology and for all they knew the doctor was dead and i think that in order to kind of help them along with the idea that oh he's coming back to life then you have them intercut uh, that resurrection with uh the frankenstein monster coming to life come you know being born so it's i think it's a pretty bit of a, a clever bit of storytelling and uh, it didn't bother me at all i kind of geeked out a little bit uh of course i think that there's also a good chance that there'll be people that are not familiar with doctor who and are also not familiar with frankenstein and then 
they would be a little confused, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but overall, I liked it. I, especially because it doesn't happen again. It's not like this movie becomes this sort of a weird self-referential endeavor where... I don't know, every 20 minutes we get Doctor Who shenanigans intercut with classic horror movies or classic sci-fi movies. So it was fine because it was just there and then it didn't happen again. Actually, more importantly, did you realize that the Doctor was coming back to life? What do you think was happening here? Yeah, it was weird. Like his face was like um, seizing and... I just wasn't really sure. I did appreciate, due to the limitations of CGI, and especially with the limited budget like they had on this, I, I would assume, I wasn't able to find too much in the way of budget, but again, made-for-TV movie, that it was done really well of, you know, his face is transforming, but the room they did it in was just so dimly lit that, you know, it didn't, it still held up by, like, modern standards. Like, I didn't look at that. I'm like, that looks like shit. And <laughs> there's a lot of movies we've done. Signs comes to mind at the end that they have to do this thing in broad daylight with the CGI alien. It looks like ass. And in this case, it was like these guys had enough wherewithal to be like, yeah, let's do this in a dimly lit room. Uh, but to your actual question, I wasn't really sure what was going on. I, I was just kind of rolling with the punches with this. Uh, I was just like, oh, he's changing. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, the changing thing is that... I guess what could be confusing, and I, I at least had a leg up on you there because I knew that part of the, the, the fun of Doctor Who is that, I guess, whenever an actor gets tired of playing the character, they just go through a metamorphosis and become someone else. What I think, what I found interesting, because I watched the little featurette after I watched the movie, and, uh, you know, the kind of, it was just fluff, you know, interviews with some of the people in there, and also just kind of reading the comments and all that stuff. But when America took over Doctor Who for this movie, and then it was their turn to create the Eighth Doctor after killing the Seventh Doctor. This was the first time, I guess, that they, they cast a stud. And so the Eighth Doctor is the the first hunky doctor. Like Paul McGann, and nothing against uh, Sylvester McCoy. I mean, he's an older gentleman. He, he's more like a... He, he doesn't look like a heartthrob. And then Paul McGann emerges from this metamorphosis, and he has the long hair. It reminded me of... Uh, if you ever read the Death and Return of Superman storyline in the comics, or even if you watched the animated movie, mm. I guess they just made. But when Superman comes back from the dead, he comes back with long hair because <laughs> it was the 90s and that was a thing for a while. <laughs> so seeing uh, this eighth doctor emerge uh, as a youthful, very good looking Paul McGann with these locks of hair just falling over his neck and shoulders, that was that was hot. And that was not what I expected. I mean, I, I think that the the pictures of Doctor Who are constantly towing that line of like somebody that looks really quirky, but also somebody that looks conventionally attractive. And they, they kind of like try to be a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. Uh, I think that Paul McGann is, he lands 100% on the cover of, I don't know, some, some of those magazines. Uh, what is it, like Health Magazine? Like the ones that have always like Brad Pitt shirtless. <laughs> You know, muscle and fitness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like M McGann is like the the really attractive doctor, and uh, and that's good. You know, it's like it, it it was them trying something away from going away from the traditional while still keeping like all the basics down. So you see Sylvester McCoy die and then be reborn as uh, the super attractive eighth doctor. And you're like, all right, I, I can roll with this. I mean, I don't know. I can just imagine what happened when you're a, a Doctor Who fan and you've been with the with the show, with the character for seven incarnations already. And now you're excited because this is happening. It'd be, it's going to be like what's going to be when, uh, when Idris Elba finally takes over James Bond. Yes. yes. We've been waiting for so long. <laughs> 
So, yeah, homeboy, the eighth doctor now, Paul McGann. He looks like Robert Plant with his hair. So just like, hey, it's Robert Plant. He gets an immediate I have no shame moment. Yep. An amazing, an amazing twist of fate here. Um, it was 15 years before shame came out, but still, <laughs> they, knew, they knew what was coming and they had to beat it to the punch. So he's just walking around confused and he falls to his knees. And he says, who am I? <laughs> and then we go to commercial break. And just look at all you get. Two large, fresh eggs, two juicy sausage legs, two strips of sizzling bacon, and two pancakes with hot syrup and butter. We come back, and (laughs) Chang Lee stole the doctor's belongings uh, from the hospital. He's, like, snooping through them. He's like, what is all this shit? And so we know this is eventually going to go somewhere. We cut to a hilariously chiseled Eric Roberts. I literally like <laughs> laughed out loud when they showed his back. Cause I at first thought it was like a stunt double or just someone, you know, that they got to make him look like a million bucks. No, that was him just doing lap pull downs and shit for nine months leading into this, I guess <laughs> looking like the rock in pain and gain. And the first shot of him with the, the pull-ups that he's doing this glorious slow-mo the camera's traveling around him like it starts on the back and then goes around all the way to eric roberts's face (laughs) yes it is him but this is where we learn he's bad his eyes are green he kills his girlfriend or wife i guess whoever it would be and now he's on the hunt at the hospital dr holloway quits after the body goes missing and whoever runs the hospital burns the x-ray saying you know we can't deal with this pr nightmare and first of all, I didn't realize the x-ray paper burnt like paper does. So that's, it's not even paper, it's film. I didn't realize it burnt that quick. And then secondly, like, you didn't can you tell she was just done. Bastards? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I've like worked with film before and seen how quickly it can melt. Uh, but he just kind of rolls it up like a newspaper and lights it, you know, and just throws it in a trash can. And you can tell Holloway's done because it still could have been salvaged, but she was just like, fuck this, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> so she like gets her box of shit and leaves. The doctor is still running around with his toe tag on. <laughs> it's it's pretty to be fair. Endearing. He doesn't he doesn't really know what's going exactly. on. Exactly. That was a good call because if he just if he was just reborn, instantly knowing what's going on, like basically there's this instant transference of memories. Then it's kind of like, what's the point? That's not fun. We need to have at least a solid fifteen minutes, maybe more, of him just relearning what the world is and just what's going on there. Otherwise, you know, why are we bothering? We, we, we need a little bit of a fish out of water thing. Because I, I, I imagine that this is something that, uh, a, a problem that the the minds behind Doctor Who, whatever showrunner is tasked with Doctor Who at, at any given time, they have to figure out a way to uh, depower the Doctor on a regular basis. Because when left unchecked, that's a protagonist that's so powerful. Uh, and I know that you don't really get much of a taste of it here, Alex, because, you know, they they kind of took care of it very, very quickly. But, you know, the fact that uh, that, that kid stole his stuff, I love that because uh, one of my major pet peeves whenever I watch any Doctor Who story, uh, or half-watched at least, is that he has this little gizmo. They call it the, I think they call it the sonic screwdriver. And that's basically like a magic wand. So if he wants to fix something, he wants to make something do you know, bent to his will. He just uses his sonic screwdriver and then it's just, it's done. It's fixed. Well, he doesn't have the sonic screwdriver. I think he uses it once in this movie. At some point he gets his shit back and, you know, but I just like that. Okay, well, they took away his his little gadget and then they took away his memory for a good chunk of the movie. And then uh, later down the line, they took away his headquarters. So that works best 
in a movie setting where you're like, for 90 minutes, I'm going to have to like, you know, depower this this super powerful guy and so that there can be a story, so there can be an adventure. It has to be a lot harder to do it, you know, episode in, episode out. How is it that every episode of Doctor Who is not over in five minutes when he just grabs his sonic screwdriver and goes like, all right, well, fix yourself, and then it's all over. I, I really appreciated that th- this movie really went above and beyond as far as making, you know, bring him down to, to our level so that we can enjoy a good romp without wondering why hasn't he fixed it already? The time machine is, is that what TARDIS is? Yes. The time and relative dimension in space. All right. I'm learning things here. <laughs> so he, the doctor teams up with um, Holloway and says, you know, kind of, I need help. I'm the guy that you thought you killed, but I'm not dead. So he follows her out to the parking lot. Definitely not suspicious or suspect at all. At the hospital, though, Eric Roberts is like the Terminator now. And... <laughs> When I say like, they literally recreate <laughs> the scene from the police station in the first Terminator. Eric Roberts shows up in a black leather jacket and his aviator's on, and he's got his hand against the wall and just kind of looking around. <laughs> so some could see this as kind of like a cheap ripoff. We would have been three years removed from T2, and what is that? Uh, almost 10 years removed from the first Terminator. Mm-hmm. So some people could see this and roll their eyes and just like, well, he's clearly just trying to be the Terminator. And be that as it may, I think that's a good idea for to catch casual viewers. You know what I mean? Yes. Of someone who's just tuning in. They could have used that for the TV spot. But then, you know, <laughs> if you tune in and see what appears to be the Terminator, even if you think it's a cheap ripoff, you're going to hang around. So I think it was smart. And especially the people like, wait a minute, I didn't know Eric Roberts was a Terminator. Is this a new Terminator? <laughs> You get them at least for 10 to 15 minutes trying to figure out if this is a new Terminator movie or not. And then after that, they're already hooked. <laughs> they they think the Paul McGann is hot and they, they just stick around to the end. And so instead of I'll be back, though, he has the line of shit. He asks, like, you know, who has the belongings that he brought in with him? It's like the, the kid who brought him in. And he just goes, the Asian child. <laughs> And then he gets up and leaves. He does have that part where he peels off his fucking uh, pinky nail because I guess his body's falling apart. Not unlike Jeffrey Jones and... Um, <laughs> Howard the Duck. <laughs> Howard the Duck, thank you. We have our two sides of the equation now. We have Dr. Holloway and the eighth doctor. Uh, he's clearly suffering from amnesia. She believes him at this point and says, all right, I'll help you out. So we have the good side and then obviously the master, the bad side. We have black leather duster wearing Eric Roberts and his sunglasses. And he, at this point, is trying to hunt the kid down, correct? What What is his end game? What is he trying to accomplish here? So based on what this movie told me and then just the, the little bits and pieces that I picked up from the internet and from the supplementary material, I think that both the, the doctor and... The master, which is the creature inhabiting Eric Roberts's body, it's like they have a limited amount of lives. Like, they, yeah, they die and they come back, but that, they, that's that can only happen, you know, up to a point. And I think when the movie starts, the doctor says in his voiceover that the master had died for the last time. So what the master is trying to do during this movie is steal Doctor Who's lives so that he can, you know live more and i guess in order to do that he has to use the tardis he has to take over the tardis and perform a ritual of some sorts like look that's all i need <laughs> i don't need to understand it any deeper than that 
I'm fully aware that people that follow the show and people that are into the mythology, they could break down exactly why he needs to pull that lever and why it has to be at sunset and why, you know, all the all the details. And that's great. I mean, that's 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 part of the fun of being part of a big community of fandom. Uh, but it's great that this movie doesn't expect me to be that. You know, it, it does just enough to where I accept what is telling me a face value and I can just roll with it. And I'm like, okay, he wants to steal his lives. And in order to do that, he needs to do the things that he's doing in this movie. All right. No questioning it. He catches Chang Li at the TARDIS because Chang Li is obviously snooping. He's like, I got this key and this is where this guy came from. So I'm going to go see what the fuck this is all about. And he catches him there and he, it's not even blackmail. He just tells him, you're going to help me or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, but doesn't he show him like uh, jewels, or is it like no? It's, is it gold? Gold like, dust. Yeah, gold dust. So okay, I won't kill you if you help me, and also I will give you riches. All right, here here's a little bit of a of a Doctor Who mythology that I can share with you, Alex. That will make you appreciate where we are in the story even more. I think. Get ready, also, because I guess our social media is gonna be bombarded with a. Doctor Who fans just correcting what I'm about to say or you know everything that we've been saying so far. But uh, so I think that the way that Doctor Who the, the story Doctor Who stories usually work is like he always has what he calls a companion. And so mm-hmm. Doctor Who is this cosmic entity, but then his companions, if I am not mistaken, are always human. So season in and season out, Doctor Who will have like a human that helps him kind of like stay grounded and maybe give him a a human perspective throughout his adventures. And I think maybe companions cycle about as often as the doctor. So, you know, if you change the doctor, then you change the companion. So for all intents and purposes, Paul McGann, you know, he's a new incarnation of doctor and he gets a new companion, which is Grace, even though the movie never really officially makes him, you know, it's not an official partnership. They just kind of happen to be in this adventure together. And I would imagine if this movie had been successful enough that they would actually spun off a new Doctor Who show starring Paul McGunn, I mean, I would be surprised if the the plan wasn't to have Grace as a companion, uh, mm-hmm. right? But now what I really like is that then you have the mirror image of the Master also having a companion of sorts because he goes and recruits uh, this kid and now this is basically two teams of two. So I don't know how often this happens in Doctor Who history where he's facing somebody that, like him, has multiple lives and, like him, has a human companion that kind of helps him navigate our customs. But I liked it. And again, in this tiny 90-minute adventure, I thought it was a little, a nice little bit of symmetry that made things more, more interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely made the movie easier to swallow for, I guess as a non-fan kind of gave me more things to cling on to and relate to in the story. Julio, does the doctor know that the master is out? Cause he begins telling grace that he needs an atomic clock, but again, for what I, I got a little bit confused. Does he know he needs to save people or the earth or what is he just trying to get back at this point in time? No, I think the way it works is that uh, once the master breaks into the TARDIS, he fucks with something in there like the eye of Agamotto or whatever. Remember, like, he opens this sort of weird portal on the floor. That's right, yeah. And then somehow that triggers a connection with the doctor himself, because I guess it's it's his house. It, like, ignites his memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I remember. But then he also perceives that the master has done something 
bad inside the TARDIS. And he's like, the only way to fix what he's done is to go get an atomic clock. That's the only thing that can fix it. And then for good measure, he makes out with Grace. <laughs> it has something to do with because it's about to be 2000. And at midnight, yes. what he's done could could potentially destroy the Earth if he doesn't get the atomic clock and kind of reverse the the sands of time. The new millennium. This was one of those movies. A few years out, he finds one on display at the I think the San Francisco. There, there's some like banquet with the, the tech people of the city there, so they're going to go there to do it. They need a ride, so they call the ambulance driver or the excuse me the paramedic that they know, being Eric Roberts and. He shows up looking like the Terminator, and it just makes it all the easier. He's just like, come with me if you want to live. And he, the Master and Chang Lee pick them up. They're going to take him there. Along the way is when the, uh, the doctor realizes that he has become the Master. It's inhibited his body. Um, we, they end up like a traffic jam, and just chaos ensues from here because the doctor and Grace try to get away. They like hold a police officer up at gunpoint and steal his... Uh, <laughs> police uh, motorcycle well first he uh, gives I, him some gummies i guess is that what happens like they they're kind of like a, the police officer doesn't want to let them through and then uh the doctor pulls out a bag of gummies i think from his pocket offers some gummies to the officer the officer extremely well-natured grabs some gummies and then grace grabs his gun <laughs> takes his gun from him. worst cop in the history right. of the world <laughs> and so they get away that way chang and uh the master and the ambulance and he's like, why are we still here? Or why are we waiting? He's like, there's a traffic jam. He's like, this is an ambulance. And then turns on the siren and short, but good moment of comedy. Uh, and so both vehicles uh, commence in a chase that concludes or wraps up at the uh, San Francisco that party. All the gurus from the city are there to celebrate. And that's where the atomic clock is. And so the two men that need it are there to take over now by now we've we've had a, a good amount of time we've spent a good amount of time with grace and the doctor as a team at what point if if ever did you start rooting for them to hook up i mean always like from the get-go <laughs> from the get-go i'm a hopeless romantic so when they kissed we were like it's happening <laughs> kind of i mean i knew at the end of this he was gonna have to go no matter what so i, I didn't get my hopes up for a happily ever after oh that's I mean, right at the end yeah because i was gonna say yeah, if you don't know about the the whole companion thing, you're like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be over with. So I I was thinking she's gonna end up going with him, you know, get on the target. He asked her to, way. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're at this banquet. Eric Roberts, he's wearing. I you only see him from like the waist up for a while, so you don't realize he's wearing a full on fucking duster, and he's he just stands out like crazy at this party. It's it's an incredible sight. It's uh, almost 2000. We're getting to see the uh, clips of the party Will Sasso's at, William Sasso. <laughs> I think, isn't he wearing like a Nixon mask? Uh, I thought he was a pirate. Someone has a Nixon mask because I remember <laughs> just being like timely for 1999. <laughs> of course, you know, at that point in time, Bill Clinton would have been f uh, fresh into his second term or about to be a few years removed from sexual scandal. So. If it was made actually in 1999, you rest assured someone would have been wearing a Bill Clinton mask or someone would have been dressed up like Monica Lewinsky or some yeah. shit. Nixon is timeless, though. No matter when <laughs> you set your movie and when you shoot it, Nixon, it's Nixon. You always recognize him. So they're back to the TARDIS. Uh, the doctor seems to be getting everything in a row. He's having Grace help him. Uh, but at this point, Grace 
is possessed or taken over by the spirit of the master. I think her eyes go black. She hits the doctor in the head with like a hammer or some shit. It's pretty brutal. She takes him out. <laughs> yeah. And we cut to commercial break because then right before uh, Eric Roberts and Chang Lee come in and she just kind of smiles at the two of them. And when we come back from commercial break, fucking Eric Roberts is in full Doctor Strange cosplay. Yes. I, I'm glad that you made the same association. I've seen some people call it a Dracula costume. But that is Doctor Strange. That is a, a very decadent Doctor Strange, but that is 100% Doctor Strange. Maybe we're influenced by the recent film. And so, you know, we've seen it now on the big screen, and now that's all we can associate it with. I, I, I mean, you could maybe say Mr. Sinister with 96. Yeah, he doesn't he, have the tassels coming out of the back, though. Dude, if you were at, like, Comic-Con and you saw a guy <laughs> in that outfit, you'd be like, whoa, that's one hell of a Doctor Strange outfit. And then, whoa, that's Eric Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, and shouldn't you be, like, in a booth somewhere? <laughs> so, Roberts is Doctor Strange. He kills Chang Li, because Chang Li, like, gets in the way. He kills him, and he's harnessing all this power. He puts, like, the clockwork orange gimmick on uh, the Doctor's head, mm -hmm. I, I guess, so he has to watch everything. Or is it, like, draining his power? I, I guess I didn't catch that. Th this just devolves into chaos. It becomes 2000, and the Master... Begins just like sucking all the energy out of everything, and I guess he's becoming immortal this way. Doesn't he kiss Grace also? Suck her life force out? Yes, yeah. He doesn't kiss her. He like open mouth, like inhales. Okay, we know what's really it's like going on. Me there. <laughs> eating Jimmy John's. Yeah, and you know now. I mean, I've, I'm I haven't looked at my notes, but as you were telling it, I was like, how do they get out of that? <laughs> Well, because the doctor is able to use his power. He breaks the master's control on the two of them. So the master just kills the two of them in response. Right. I, I know at some point he just kind of turns back the clock. Or I guess he doesn't kill Holloway because she's the one that saves the day. He's draining the, the doctor's like life from him and stealing it and I guess on the road to become immortal. But she's able to like summon enough power because she fixes like she hot wires the TARDIS. She gets underneath that and fixes like all the wires that need to be fixed on it. Uh my note my it, note just says we are not meant to understand what happened and that's okay. <laughs> okay, so then she fixes it and then he kills her, but in the process it prevents the destruction of the earth. And then the doctor's able to free himself and I think he yeah, it just gets into a bit of a, a fracas with the master, and uh, he pushes him into that portal that's opened. So he's just kind of standing there, and he's like, <laughs> well, I took care of that, but now my friends are dead. <laughs> so he's he uses the, the eye before it closes, the portal before it closes, to just go back a few minutes in time. And what that does is, and that'd be awesome, that feeling of counting down to 10 on New Year's, just getting to do that again. Of course, none of them are aware of it, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, we keep yeah, cutting back to uh, Will Sasso's party, kind of like to keep <laughs> like it's where the we only are. New Year's party <laughs> yeah. in San Francisco. Like this is the only like it's the biggest raging party in town. The important thing is though, he is able to go back those few moments and bring back Chang Lee as well as uh, Doctor Holloway. And now that you know everything's back to normal on Earth, he gets to leave. Get, he like gifts his shit to Chang Lee, who's just like really. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, he's like, all right, I'm going to leave before you change your mind and leaves. Like, I thought he was going to come back and give him a hug or something. No, that dude <laughs> stuck to his guns. Uh, yeah. And then and then he makes the offer to Grace. He says, hey, you should come with me because I guess Grace's arc throughout the movie is that she's kind of falling out of love with the idea of being a doctor. Right. She uh -huh. at some point she kind of explains her backstory. She talks about how when she was a kid, 
she wanted to be a doctor and save the world, save people, and then the bureaucracy, as we've seen in this movie, the bureaucracy of the, the, the healthcare system just kind of, she didn't jive with that. She didn't really care for that. And so now she doesn't know what she wants to do. And so the doctor, at the end of this adventure, is like, well, you know what? Why don't you come with me and just travel across galaxies and time and whatever? And then she refuses. She's like, no, I'm going to stay. I'm good. Which was so unexpected and refreshing. And yes, I wanted them to hook up and go off together. But I had to kind of tip my hat and go, respect. She won't be his sidekick. <laughs> it's like I'd rather be the protagonist of my own adventures here on Earth instead of playing second fiddle to whatever you're going to be doing with your TARDIS. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, so she's just like, all right, whatever. I know, Like you said. She knows what her future could be, and is like, nah, I'm just going to stick around San Fran and see where it goes. So the doctor boards the TARDIS uh, after they kiss, of course. And I did really like the last line of the movie when he gets in there. He goes, where to next? And then, you know, the voyage begins. <laughs> then we get the credits in classic television fashion, rolling at the speed of light. And then we get the <laughs> universal television signature at the end of it, which, God, that whew, those, like, TV studio signatures that would play at the end of television shows that I was immediately back in my living room as a little kid watching television <laughs> when I heard that. So that was Doctor Who. I feel like we did a pretty decent job of making our way through that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say before we head into real talk, there was there's one thing that I wished I never watching this movie. I never felt like I was not having a good experience because I wasn't familiar. Like I never felt cheated. Right before, I was like, "Oh man, I wish I'd been a Doctor Who fan." Uh, I just welcomed everything. I was like, "Oh, this is great! This is great!" After I finished the movie and I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I learned that this is the first time that the Doctor kisses anyone. I mean, I don't know if, how many times it's happened since, but you know, the seven previous incarnations of Doctor Who never kiss anybody, and so that made me retroactively appreciate how big of a deal it is that he just kisses Grace. And that was the one thing I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd been a Doctor Who fan watching it because that moment would have hit me even harder because it's a huge deal. And watching it just as a as a common person, it was just, it was cute, but it was not like, oh, my world's turned upside down. Props to that, I guess. I, that's even one more thing. That's, that's one more thing that this incarnation of Doctor Who was brave enough to do. I mean, it's not its not like this really nasty make-out session. It's not like they made him sexual, but they at least made him somebody who would kiss another being. And that is, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that, again, is breaking the mold of what the, the character had been, the franchise had been up to up the point. And I wonder if that was also part of what elicited some backlash, because some people just can't handle, you know, that kind of adjustment of their beloved characters. So kudos to everybody involved in the... The Doctor Who the movie production. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the writer-director, but we'll get into that in the next portion, Julio, because I think it's time to carry this over to Real Talk. Let's go to Real Talk. The Grand Slam Breakfast, once again at the remarkably low price of $1.99 this month at Denny's, where you'll like our prices and you'll love our food 24 hours a day. And we are back, but before we go into real talk, we are going to do a little bit of PP. That's our patron pitch, the segment where we let patrons know what to expect on their patron feeds, and also we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Uh, Alex, like we mentioned on the previous patron pitch, uh, November is a big Indian month for the Contrarians, <laughs> courtesy of patron Brandon Curtis, who has assigned us has uh, demanded the movie Singham, 
from 2011. It's an Indian movie uh, for the for his patron exclusive pick. So you'll see that on our patron feed. <laughs> Additionally, he he assigned us the movies Singham Returns, which I guess is a sequel to Singham, <laughs> and Simba uh, for our respective QVRs or quick video reviews this this month. So you will be tackling Singham Returns. I will be tackling Simba, and uh, I guess through this process will be three movies into some sort of uh, cop universe <laughs> happening in the Indian film industry. Um, that's the November patron stuff in addition to our usual segments uh, such as the card room floor where we just give you all the stuff that doesn't make it to the official episodes uh, and then our pre-recording notes and then of course Contrarians After Hours. <laughs> The spin-off show where we talk about things that we've watched, that we've read, that we played. Usually, this is the point where, Alex, I would ask you, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours? Those of you who listened to the previous After Hours, the one that we did after uh, Fury Road, you have the answer. You know exactly what this After Hours is going to be. Alex and I are just going to spend the entire time talking about Halloween Kills, finally. That's that's what we're bringing last. to the table. Yes, it's been. Alex has seen it twice. I've seen it once, but I've been, you know, like I like I said it on that after hours. I've been having this imaginary conversation with you for a while now, so <laughs> it's finally gonna take place. Uh, so lots of exciting stuff. If any of this sounds interesting, just go to our Patreon channel. Go to Patreon.com/slash Contrarian Prime. Check out our tiers. See if you feel like contributing a little bit of money. To our uh, little Contrarians family, the Contrarians supplements. Just join and, and enjoy all the extra content. $1, $3, $5, $10. Go take a look at our different tiers, see what you like. Just start off with a buck, see if you like the additional content. And then eventually, you know, you're going to want to tell us what movie you want us to do. So you're going to want to make that demand, be it uh, a full episode uh, to be entered in Contrarians canon or QVR, even just a Patreon bonus. Uh, so go check it out. If for nothing else, the discourse on Halloween that's going to be coming. Uh, and then also we got some stuff in the works right now for our patron subscribers as well. So uh, stay tuned. But to our current contributors and patrons, God, we love you. Love you so much. So keep it coming. You know, we, we love who we got, and you can be part of that circle as well. Yeah, there's no uh, no gatekeeping at uh, no. <laughs> the Contrarian <laughs> Supplements. No gatekeeping. Uh, and then if you're so inclined to pick up some Contrarians merch, Julio, where can they find that? That's in our Redbubble store, redbubble.com slash people slash the Contrarians. But also if you go to our website, there's a link, a direct link there that takes you uh, to the store. Lots of cool stuff. Enjoy all the the Contrarians designs that came from the mind of the person who requested this very special Doctor Who episode. So there's a connection there. There you go. So... Yeah, let's bring it around here. At long last, Hans, we hope you enjoyed the first portion of this, and now we move into the second portion. Julio, the 48, as you said, 48% from the uh, viewers yeah. ranking. The audience ranking. Audience <laughs> ranking. That's yeah. the, the phrase I was looking for there. Um, apparently, a divisive entry amongst the fans of the television show. Again, the show goes back to, geez, my mom would have been like three years old when this show started. That's how old it is. <laughs> so uh, in the first portion, you kind of covered some of the ground of those who did not care for it. Julio, before we jump in with you and I's thoughts on it, what were some of the quips, reviews, one-liners you could find from people that did like it? 
Yes, Alex, I have a few more quotes from Letterboxd. These a little more positive than what we heard on the first half of the show. And we'll start with uh, Keegs, who gave this movie four stars and a heart. And says, Eric Roberts leaps into the air, his oversized costume barely staying together, and opens his mouth to release a stock lion roaring sound effect. Instant five stars? I don't know, Keegs. The, the answer to your question, I guess, is the fact that you gave it four stars. So I wonder what took that, that last star down. Because it certainly wasn't Eric Roberts. Next, Cancer. Three stars and a heart. Says, ah, America does it again, ruining another culture icon. But honestly, it's not that bad. I had such a fun time rewatching this Terminator wannabe movie. Paul McGann is wasted here. He had such potential as the Eighth Doctor. I wish we saw more of him. Oh, uh, there's there's a little bit more to the to the story of Paul McGann. We'll get into that. And then finally, Allegra, three stars and a heart. This movie is the worst, and by the worst, I mean the best. They got the hammiest American soap actor they could find to play the master. And the Doctor's companion is an incredibly transparent Dana Scully ex-spy? Ex-spy? That's weird. Um, I didn't... I mean, then again, I'm not a big X-Files person, so I would never even thought of making that comparison. Did you think of uh, Scully? No. no. Compared to Grace? No. But, but the time frame, that, that makes sense, uh, that someone could draw that comparison. Yeah, well, I'm a little more shocked by them calling uh, Eric Roberts an American soap actor. Yeah, that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Is this an American person calling Eric Roberts out, or, or is this a British Doctor Who fan who's just assuming that Eric Roberts is a soap actor? But the Terminator reference was in there, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Is he in The Expendables, Eric Roberts? Uh, isn't he the bad guy in the first one? You're the Expendables guy, so don't throw it back at me. I think he's the bad guy in the first one. Okay. Let me see. Eric Roberts was nominated for an Oscar. What? <laughs> no. Uh, James Monroe is his name. Yeah, it looks like he's in the first one. Uh, was he nominated for an Oscar? You can't just drop on. that out there. In the <laughs> so anyway, Doctor Who. Um, nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 1985 for his role as the escaped convict Buck in the film Runaway Train. None of that rings a bell whatsoever. Unless you're talking about the music video for the Soul Asylum song. Nice. Sick reference. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, Eric Roberts, uh, according to Google, he had a big break in 1976 when he was cast as Tim Bancroft on the soap opera Another World, but I, I think mm. he did enough to uh, come out of the shadow of being a, a soap actor, uh, if by nothing else, <laughs> by Doctor Who, the movie, <laughs> yes. where I know the popular phrase now that's online everywhere is understood the assignment. He definitely understood the assignment here. A hundred percent. For what they were going for. So Julio... At this point, I'm going to ask you to hit me with what your knowledge of Doctor Who is and basically your experiences with it in life up until this point. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of, no, that's not true. I was going to say, I gave you all of it during the Trans Corner, but that's not quite uh, accurate. Uh, I know of Doctor Who and I've watched Doctor Who episodes. I've Kelly has tried to get me to watch Doctor Who seriously and it just didn't stick. So the way that it works, and kind of like I said in the dress corner, I, I am fully aware that 
I'm opening myself up to being corrected <laughs> by by our listeners that are more familiar with this. But kind of like in broad strokes, which is how I understand the Doctor Who mythology, there is the before times, right? Like the the old timey Doctor Who, which I guess ended with the Seventh Doctor with Sylvester McCoy. That was like the black and white Doctor Who. That was kind of just like you know British sci-fi. Maybe I'm thinking more culty than you know. It wasn't like a worldwide phenomenon the way that it is now. Then that ends. Uh, several years go by, then America tries to relaunch Doctor Who with this movie, with the Doctor Who movie. They they bring Sylvester McCoy over so, to kill him off and then <laughs> create a new Doctor. And then I'm assuming that if this had happened, had gone well, had been well received, then you would have had a Doctor Who show with Paul McGann at the center of it. Maybe even Grace coming back as the companion. Um but that didn't happen. This this bombed. This wasn't well received, whatever. And then it was, I don't know how many years until the BBC tried again and they relaunched a Doctor Who with, I guess, what was the ninth Doctor, um, which is Christopher Eccleston. Which I don't know if you know Eccleston from anything. I know him mainly from uh, The Leftovers. He's fantastic in that show. He was Doctor Who for one season. And then David Tennant takes over as the 10th Doctor. Uh, David Tennant, I'm sure you know him from somewhere. He's, you know, in a lot of things. But he's mostly known as the 10th Doctor, I think, you know, among fandoms. And he stuck around for a while. And then I think we're in Doctor number 13 by now. You know, they've rotated. I think it was Doctor uh, David Tennant, then some guy... The guy that's in uh, Terminator Genesis, the guy that plays Skynet. I don't know if you remember him. But... No. Try to block that out. <laughs> uh, he was the 11th Doctor. The 12th Doctor was Peter Capaldi, who's, you know, an older guy. So it was, everybody was like, oh, it's, a, it's an old cranky guy as a doctor. And then 13th Doctor is a woman. And I think that's where they are right now. It's a big thing that Doctor number 13, finally, a woman is a doctor. Now, so that's all like TV stuff. Now, Kelly, my wife, so she tried to get me started Doctor Who with the first couple of Christopher Eccleston episodes. And uh, I was like, mm, I mean, I get it, but it's this is not working for me because it, they felt a lot like this movie does, which is just, you know, you said made for TV movie. And I guess the production value felt really campy when I was watching that first season of the relaunch with, you know, the ninth doctor would be like, I I think he's like really dorky and like the, the, it just wasn't doing it for me. So then she fast forward. She's like, okay, this is not your cup of tea. Try David Tennant. Cause everybody loves David Tennant. And so we watched uh, a couple episodes from the David Tennant era. And uh, there was one that was really good. <laughs> Tellingly, <laughs> the doctor wasn't in it much. Uh, it was mostly about some person. The, the doctor just kind of like popped in and out. And it's one of the most famous episodes. Some uh, sculptures that turn people into stone, I think. I don't know. But anyway, I was like, okay, I like David Tennant as a doctor a lot more. But this still, I'm not like, at least if you're like me, I'm like, I'm not going to watch Doctor Who casually. Like, <laughs> if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to have to like really get into the mythology. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of work. Um, I watched a handful of episodes uh, 
with, with the Eleventh Doctor, the guy that followed Doc, uh, David Tennant, because Neil Gaiman wrote a couple of them, and a big Neil Gaiman fan. Man, I couldn't even finish them. It's just like it's not clicking. It's just, and it's always the same thing. Like it's just, it just feels too silly. It just feels too. Uh, like I'm not laughing with the show, and I think that. I can see how like some of the ideas, some of the concepts are cool, but I just I can't get into it. And then uh, I watch a couple of the Peter Capaldi ones just for the the novelty. I'm like, oh, you know, Peter Capaldi, I know him from you know, he's the asshole in uh, in the loop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, I get it. It's kind of fun to see him as a cranky old man, but it's still not doing it for me. So what I'm telling you is like, I've tried Doctor Who in several different incarnations, and it never hit that sweet spot for me that seems to hit you know the way it seems to do for its fandom there is just something about the aesthetics the the sense of humor the like i'm a i'm a big dork and i like really you know a lot of dorky things but for some reason doctor who's particular brand of dorkiness just doesn't go well with my brand of dorkiness i guess so now how does that reflect how is that reflected in this movie honestly and everybody keep in mind that I'm just <laughs> it's very limited but this movie felt to me like a Doctor Who movie you know that goes in line with what I've seen of Doctor Who it's pretty cheesy it's it, it's dorky and the production value is not like mind blowing there are clearly people that are having fun doing this thing and uh, I think that there's probably a lot of uh, extra stuff that you get if you're familiar with the mythology uh, like you know if you're familiar with the history of the master, then I'm sure that you're a lot more invested in this confrontation between him and Doctor Who. But I'm not, so I don't know. I, I my perspective is that what you, if your experience of watching this movie, Alex, would probably be very similar to your experience of watching an average Doctor Who episode. And I think that that's where the fandom is probably turning on me because I I imagine that a lot of people disagree with that. It's not going to come to that. Don't worry. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you watch Doctor Who, the show, just because it doesn't strike me as the kind of show that you would enjoy to begin with. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you sharing all that. You have way more knowledge and experience with this than I. Uh, I just knew it was a show that a lot of people, uh, it has a very devout fan base, not unlike Star Trek or something like that. Uh, I think I have one friend. Uh, my buddy Mike, who's really into it. And that's it. And with this, this was fine. There was a lot of things I was nostalgic about in this that had nothing to do with Doctor Who. Main, uh, Namely, excuse me, being a made-for-TV movie, seeing where the commercial breaks are, some of the title signatures at the end. Uh, that kind of stuff was just kind of fun. And the movie itself, hour and 27 minutes, fine. <laughs> I, I At no point in this was I overly bored or wanting it to be over but as soon as it was over i was like that was fine i'm sure this will be a good episode to record uh but i have absolutely no interest in diving any further into the franchise nor do i have any interest in uh watching any of the other discs in this uh doctor who the doctors revisited set that you provided (laughs) um it's just one of those things I could see where there is a devout fan base for this i could see where some people get really into it but yeah it it's just not for me but that being said, I had a fine time with the movie. Yeah, uh, I I wish I liked it. Uh, then again, it's not like I need something else to kind of take up my time, you know. But uh, 
I can see how it's a fun world if you're into it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like pro wrestling. <laughs> no, I, I, and, and I earlier, you know, when we we're talking about this episode coming up, and you know, I racing the movie, you hadn't, and I, I kind of told you like, yeah, the the behind the scenes stuff is uh, more interesting than the movie, and what I meant was that the just the idea that Paul McGann was tapped to be the eighth Doctor in this movie, and just everything that I've seen. I mean, I'd love to hear opposing points of view. If you're one of those people that absolutely hates Paul McGann as the Eighth Doctor, hit us up because <laughs> my brief research kind of showed that, uh, like I think in the corner, even the people that don't like the movie seem to be pretty happy with how he's playing the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of falls in line with how I've seen some people play the Doctor. You know, where he's just pretty like silly and kind of like boyish in his way that you know the way that he tackles the world and. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as like I don't find him charming in this movie, but I 100 percent understand how people would find him charming. Because you know, if, if you're a Doctor Who fan, then you're probably like, yeah, this guy is doing it. He's and, and especially, I don't know what uh, Sylvester McCoy was like as a Doctor, but I can see how it's such a big departure. So that has to be cool. Uh, I, I imagine that people saw that passing of the torch and were like, ah, oh, man, I wish we could see more of this guy. And then that didn't happen, uh, mm-hmm. except it kind of did because. I did just just do a little bit of digging on his filmography, and he has a whole bunch of credits as the Eighth Doctor. It just happens that they're not movies or television; they're uh, radio plays. So I guess in that stretch of time between this movie kind of bombing and then the BBC relaunching Doctor Who with the Ninth Doctor with Christopher Eccleston, uh, Paul McGann kind of like did a whole bunch of uh, just audio dramas featuring the Doctor. So hmm. so he got to play the doctor again, just not in front of a camera, just just in front of a microphone. So he's still widely known as the eighth doctor. Uh, you know, people reference him and he he got to do stuff, you know. Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was cool because I, I feel bad. That's gonna suck to, you know, dip your toe in this massive franchise and then have it taken away from because you know they, I imagine they could have just called them when they relaunched it when the BBC relaunched it. It was like instead of starting with Christopher Eccleston, let's just grab the guy that played him last in the movie. And from what I understand, they didn't even no, actually I know because I watched that first episode, the Christopher Eccleston uh, Doctor Who. They don't even do what they do with Sylvester McCoy here, where they you, where you see the passing of the torch. And just that show starts and Christopher Eccleston is the ninth doctor. And you just kind of assume that before the show started, the eighth doctor died and came back as him. So that kind of sucks for Paul McGann, at least, you know, from my point of view. So I'm glad that he got to do some some radio stuff and at least live the fantasy there a little more. So do you know why, aside from the things you've read already, that this has a polarizing, if not negative uh, legacy amongst the fans? Well, I imagine that this is, even though to me it all looks the same, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that the people that don't like it might think that this is too silly <laughs> for Doctor Who, <laughs> uh, which I guess maybe they are, you know, maybe they're right. Not being familiar with the mythology, like with the series as a whole, uh, I can't tell. To me, it all looks kind of the same. It's, you know, time travel, the master screaming i mean i don't know man it's i was looking through you know i looked through a whole bunch of quotes and a lot of it was just uh oh you know america doesn't need to mess with doctor who 
and not a whole lot of specifics. And you know, a lot of them, a lot of the reviewers calling it cheesy, but it's again in my mind, it's always cheesy. I guess there's you know, you can be cheesy in a bad way and cheesy in a good way. So when you have no attachment to the franchise, like you and I do, then it's the cheese doesn't really bother you that much. Mm. But I guess you know it's the equivalent of like, oh, I don't like I don't know the I don't like the second Thor movie because I think that it doesn't go well with everything else that's been going on in the Marvel movies. Oh well, you know I can tell because I I've seen them all and I like them all in a very specific way. But somebody that watches Thor two in isolation, they might think that it's a fine movie. <laughs> like those poor unfortunate souls, as Ursula would say, that the only Star Wars movie they've seen is either The Clone Wars or Attack of the Clones or fucking Rise, uh, of, Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this was fine. This was... I think we both had the same reaction. I, I don't mean to speak for you. You didn't feel like this was a waste of time or like it was something you had a hard time watching, was it? No, it was definitely, well, listeners, you know the Mattis rule. If you've been around for a while, you can even get a t-shirt with the Mattis rule logo. <laughs> 90 minutes or less, you don't really get to complain about anything like that. This flew by. I wasn't emotionally invested, but I was yeah. not having a bad time. I was just like, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened. Yeah, no, it, it, it was fine. Eric Roberts was a, a gas in this. I thought he was fine. I was very happy. I didn't know that he was in it. And then his name showed up in the credits. And uh, I think my note says, the Eric Roberts? <laughs> and yeah, that's him. That's him. And he's there for the entire movie. Um, I did think the relationship between uh, Grace and the Doctor was was cute. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't getting a dress corner. I was rooting for them to just kind of end the movie going off together into an adventure. You know, it seemed like that's where everything was going. But I, I also appreciate like I said, Corner, I appreciate that they went the other way and she decided to, no, I just kind of want to do my own thing now. Yeah. Um, I kind of got the feeling that if if we had gotten a TV show, she would have returned as well as, uh, what's his name, Sean Lee? Cheng Lee. Yeah, I think that he was also, they were kind of setting him up to be a recurring character in the show. I would have watched that show. I mean, I imagine if I was a, a Doctor Who fan, you know, stuck with it, see where they take it. Uh, especially this new doctor that kisses people <laughs> that seems to be more youthful. You probably experienced this. Well, I'm sure I do. I just can't think off the top of my head of a franchise that has something something similar. You know, I know I just made the, the Thor 2 comparison, but that was, you know, that is a flimsy example that doesn't really hold up to mm-hmm. something like this. But in your case, I mean, maybe, is there something, you know, taking wrestling? <laughs> That well, look, because is there this sort of event that the average person would experience as something that's just okay, but you as a wrestling fan would be like, this is this sucks, this is this atrocious, this this is not like the rest of it. Uh, everything AEW's done. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, like th- that's a lot of modern wrestling for me, so I can relate to that. Like the the first thing that comes to mind when you're f- putting that in, in that wording was when I was in Toronto a few years ago. Uh, I went to the NXT show, and the main event was this 
I rant about it so much on Twitter. You might even have read one of my tweets about it. It was a match between these guys named Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano. Adam Cole's a great wrestler. I love Adam Cole. Gargano is whatever. They just had this like horrendous match and like that I actively <laughs> hated. And the people there were like going nuts for it. And I was just like sitting in my chair, like shaking my head. I was just like, this is awful. And so there's plenty of stuff like that in, in modern time that uh, that I'm like that with. Or, you know, a better example is like uh, to take it out of wrestling because I can make examples of, from other things or analogies. Um, <laughs> I mean, one is like modern UFC, the people that watch that and they're like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, not really. It's like I, I've seen it be good. And um, The Simpsons for the past 21 years, 20, no, more than that. But like um, when people, I've come across it where I people know I like The Simpsons and they try to talk to me about like the modern stuff. And I, I you know, I, you try to be polite with somebody, but you hear people talk about how funny it is. And it's like, no, I, I know when it was good and this is not it. Like, so. Um, I like my Simpsons vintage. Simpsons three, seasons three through nine is like the pinnacle of television. That's the, that. I tell people that all the time and I get like mad when people someone I was talking to recently that was like similar to me in age and just said they felt watching like cartoons as an adult was a waste of time. And I was I had like I was rendered mute. I was like, that's such a closed minded way to look at things. And especially when there are <laughs> things out there like that or like King of the Hill that are like actual achievements. Batman Mask of the Phantasms one. Um but yeah, there's things, you know, my niche is Simpsons Wrestling MMA. That, there's that, but then there's also like uh, movie franchises and anything, anything that get, goes on as long. As, by this point in time, Doctor Who had already been around for 33 years. So anything that has that longevity in there and tries other things to appeal to different audiences, it, you know, you're going to have your laps fans at that point, And you're going to have people that want to go against it. Uh, and I completely understand that. Like I said, this didn't do much to motivate me to check out more Doctor Who stuff, but I could completely believe that in real time in 96, you know, fans watch this and like, this is not what I want. And what they're trying to do is like, obviously appeal to a broader audience and try to get like the brand <laughs> speaking like Vince McMahon now trying to get the, <laughs> the idea of it out there and to get more people to see it. And, uh, again, we're making bigger analogies here and things we're more comfortable with. I'm not comfortable speaking for, you know, the Dr. Whoians of the world, but it's um, if I'm understanding what the resentment was towards this correctly, then I completely empathize and understand, you know, I, I completely get it. So I can understand how the, those people out there listening that are that are big fans of it. When I say this is fine, they could probably roll their eyes and say he doesn't know what he's talking about because I right he he hasn't watched enough Doctor Who to know what's really good. What the well, it's, it's yeah exactly what you were saying about the Simpsons and wrestling and everything. You know, or you like can, um, the one that comes to mind, the Friday the Thirteenth remake from you know two thousand nine when. Mm -hmm. I've heard people that are, you know, 10, 15 years younger than me talk about how great it was. I'm like, no, you, you don't understand because you don't have, you know, this uh, back catalog of knowledge and you, you didn't know when it was good type thing. And that's, you know, that's just human nature always. It used to be better. But I think in this particular case, since Doctor Who uh, has prospered for another what 25 years since then, that mm -hmm. 
this is an interesting blip just based with my limited knowledge of it uh, that I could understand the resentment towards it. Kind of like um, the Star Wars Christmas story. What was that? Uh-huh. The yeah. Christmas special. It was just kind of an attempt to, you know, broaden the horizons and get more people uh, domestically or even on a global level to make them feel welcome and they're kind of part of it and they can get into it that way. And it didn't work much like this didn't really seem to work, but Hey, it's there. And I now feel that I have a a little more ammunition to talk to people about Dr. Who when it comes up. So when I'm at a party (laughs) and comes up, I don't have to walk away. I mean, I don't have like a full round in the chamber, but it's enough like gunpowder to make it go. Like I have like a cap gun. That's like half loaded. It was, (laughs) You can tell him, oh, yeah, Will Sasso was. Or did you know that Will Sasso was in a Doctor he, Who movie? He went by William Sasso in it. <laughs> um, that is a, a thing, too, that there's, a, I mean, so this one is the movie. Like, this is officially, like, the only one that's dubbed the movie. But there is, I don't know if you were still at the theater when, I know, in my time at the theater, we had at least two, maybe even three special, like, Fathom event screenings yeah. of doctor who movies uh which were i guess they were tv movies they were sort of like uh you know christmas specials or kind of like a movie bridging you know from one season to the other i mean i never watched them and you know but i just know i would see the posters and i mean people turned up to those things and they were really into it and i mean none of those things i i mentioned that we were doing the doctor who movie and uh a friend asked me on Twitter, he's like, oh, which one are you doing? And I said, the movie. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, so clearly the, the franchise survived this attempt. I, I, it's crazy. I mean, we're talking about, you know, I said how uh, kind of overwhelming it could be to just jump into this type of thing. But I think that if I was more in tune with what the what the show likes to do, it probably wouldn't feel like it's like it would be a chore to catch up. You know, it's one of the things where, like, you know if a show is is for you or not within mm-hmm. watching just a few episodes. You know, oh, in yeah. my case, I've sampled several. I think that Doctor Who can make an argument of, like, oh, well, you don't like this because you don't like this version of the Doctor, but check out, you know, when a different actor did it. And, uh, and then you might like it. And uh, like I told you, just a little bit ago. I've seen several incarnations of the Doctor and it never really did it for me. But still, it, it is... If I were to like Doctor Who, I wouldn't even know. I mean, I think most people tell you to just start with the Eccleston season and just kind of like go forward. Uh, but then there are people that go as far back as, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if the show starts with the first Doctor or if it starts with the third one or whatever. But that is the wealth of Doctor Who content that's out there is just overwhelming <laughs> and i think that that's a good thing I can imagine like at this point if you're a person that's going into the marvel universe completely like you haven't seen a single thing and you're like where do i start and you could tell someone well you kind of have to start with iron man <laughs> to really you know just go through the entire thing and get all the, the emotional payoffs and whatever but i would say um, uh you could start with mean streets but raging bull is probably a better place to start <laughs> You can start. You have to start with a strictly ballroom, so you can truly understand Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, my wife had the right idea, the way that she tried to do it with me, and it just didn't work because it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a problem with the approach. I think that she got me to try a little bit of 
one doctor. They got me to try a little bit of the most popular doctor. And like I said, I actually liked that episode. I watched it. And I was like, this was good, but not good to where I want to get hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, when I tell people that, and uh, I used to know the name of the episode, uh, but, you know, usually I'll, I'll get into it, I'll describe it, and I can see that's the moment where they realize, oh, yeah, we're not going to convince you. Because if you watch that episode and you still didn't really feel like watching more, then that's it. <laughs> you know, there's there's no point in trying anymore. But I'm glad it's out there. And I think it's really cool that it has, you know, it's just this whole thing that it's, you know, it has, like, catchphrases and it has cosplay. It has spinoffs, like Torchwood, we mentioned, and, you know, I've never watch Torchwood, but I know it's a thing that's how there was out there. I appreciate that there's fandom that is not for me, but it's out there for other people and that they seem to be having a really good time <laughs> with it. Yeah. Everything's not for everybody, but I do like also that this is still kind of, it It has penetrated pop culture uh, globally, it seems, to a, sm- a small extent, but not to the thing of like Star Wars level of almost being intolerable in some circles. So I appreciate that for the people that are into it. They, they can still have this and it's not, maybe it could be, it could be an exhausting fan base too. And we just don't know that. So, well, Disney hasn't acquired the rights yet. So yeah, it, <laughs> give it overexposed. Give it time. Yeah. Now, as far as this movie goes, it is I, probably the most telling thing is just so that it's so hard to, to obtain. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't get sold separately. At least not in an easy way. Like I, I, I mentioned it in the first half. The easiest way for us to obtain it was to get that collection. It's not streaming anywhere. At least not legally that I could find. And it's not. You know, I want to say that maybe there was a there was a single disc Doctor Who the movie uh, thing out there, but it was not. It was like region coded. And I didn't want to risk getting it and then not being able to play it. Mm. And uh, and it was also super expensive. So that's weird. You know, uh, it, it, the idea that there can be a franchise that is so powerful in a way. And yet there's some bits of it that are not available in this age where everything is available. And I understand that some of it has to do with just like rights. You know, the streaming rights are different from just physical media rights and so on. But but it's like I said, it's not like the DVDs were easily available. And you would think that somebody would want to like untangle it <laughs> and just yeah. kind of like have it out there. Be available for everybody to enjoy every little bit of Doctor Who history that's available. Uh but not the case, at least not not yet. I don't know. I it's I walk away from this, I think probably not being as negative as our dear friend Hans would have liked us to be. It feels like you're on the same page. Yeah, it's 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 fine. It's completely serviceable. Um, just quickly here to get into the semantics and details that we usually do. I did mention it premiered in the U.S. on May 14th of 1996. You know, obviously nothing really in the way of budget or box office return, but uh, its rating in the U.S. It premiered on Fox and received 5.6 million viewers, which was viewed as kind of a disappointing number. Uh, when it played on BBC One in the UK on the 27th of May, so uh, about two weeks later, it received over 9 million viewers. So <laughs> did a little bit better there. Um, it was directed by Mr. Jeffrey Sachs, who going through his filmography here, 
Uh, looks like he has some experience in television. Uh, the only thing on his filmography that I can say for a fact I've seen was 2005's Michael Keaton uh, horror slash thriller White Noise was uh, directed by... Mm. I've seen it. Yeah. Since then, in 2006, directed a movie called Stormbreaker. In 2010, a movie called Frank and Alice, which starred Halle Berry and Stellan Starsgard. Not sure what that is. And then uh, there was a television film uh, for the BBC named Christopher and His Kind that he directed in 2011. This was uh, written by Matthew Jacobs, whose additional writing credentials include the 1984 Lassie, as well as he got the story credit on Emperor's New Groove. How does that work? The story credit is basically the idea was yours, but not necessarily the screenplay. I want to say, yeah, you didn't sit down and actually break down the scenes or the dialogue or anything. You just you basically like, like wrote like an outline of what it would be. Yeah, or it could even be that you wrote a screenplay and then the next person that took it over kept the core concept but wrote that's what it is yeah different. i've heard about that yeah that that's or i've heard about that that's what i was thinking of is what i meant to say um but he didn't get the story credit emperor's new groove which is obviously a beloved disney film from my adolescence and he did some other work on uh television but um yeah calling out the high points for both those men it was uh it was a fun little detour from the the norm as we do here Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think both of us just being like, eh, his hands is, you know, <laughs> ripping out his AirPods. He wanted us to hate the, the original Fly, and we didn't. He wanted us to hate Doctor Who, the movie. We didn't. I'm going to go even further. I'm going to quote two lines that I actually really liked in this movie. <laughs> I liked them enough that I actually had to write them down. Uh, one is, and of, of course, I wish I could tell you who said, this but it might be okay so this one sounds like something that eric roberts would have said this is something like uh humans always finding patterns that aren't there i think i think that's what he says which i thought was pretty funny and kind of insightful (laughs) that you know to have a cosmic being that would actually be able to appreciate patterns on a cosmic level but then he comes to earth and he's like yeah you guys keep making connections that aren't there I thought that was funny. But uh, more importantly, I don't know at what point... This sounds like something that Paul McGann would have said. But it's like, the universe hangs on a delicate thread of coincidences. I was like, that is... Yeah, uh, when they're on the um, motorcycle. Is that what he says? Yeah, he tells her that when she's like asking him questions about the future and stuff. Oh, yeah, because she's she wants him... Yeah, she wants him to tell her what happens in her future, right? That's what's Mm -hmm. going on. And he's like, if I tell you, then everything can go sideways. Yeah. I really like that line. And I guess that's another reason why part of me laments the fact that I am not more in tune with Doctor Who as a property, because I could be getting those little bits, you know, on a regular basis, but I just can't really (laughs) get myself into it. I did really like for the movie itself, it's not like a really, you know, generational line of dialogue but i just really liked the last line of the movie being where to next and i got in the the tardis and it was just time to take off i thought it was a a cute way to end it i hope all you doctor who fans love me describing the end of this is cute (laughs) like the first avengers movie (laughs) first avengers movie is cute yeah all right well 
I think that that's, we've said our piece about Doctor Who the movie. Yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to rate these made-for-TV movies, but I'm I'm fine giving this a C plus. What about you? Um, before this this recap, I would have gone with two and a half stars. After this recap and discussion, I'm leaning more towards three stars, and I can see. Uh, Ryan and Bartok. I can imagine them seething because I'm rating it higher than uh, Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) I would be much more inclined to revisit this than I would Oscar. I'll say that. Number one, it's shorter. (laughs) Yes. And it doesn't, it feels shorter noticeably. Uh, Even though Marissa Tomei is great in that, this is just, it's one of those, there's no one I'm really into as an actor or anything like that. So I don't get invested or frustrated from any standpoint. It's just easy. It's an easy watch. That's the best way I could describe it. Not saying I'm going to go out of my way to do so. I'm just saying if someone's like this or Oscar, I'd be like, yeah, we're watching Doctor Who, baby. <laughs> yeah, but it also, is, particularly in my case, it's also that two things. One, you're talking about understanding the assignment. And yeah, not just Eric Roberts. I think I, I think Paul McGann and, and even, uh, oh man, uh, the actress that plays Grace, they also understood the assignment. and they Daphne Ashbrook. Daphne Ashbrook. I think that they're really good. I think that they're doing what the movie is asking them to do. And, well, if you guys heard the Oscar episode, you know that I didn't think that that Sly really got got that, you know, that that part. I think he was trying, but not. So so that's where this movie succeeds, where Oscar did. And then the other thing is that I walk away from this going, it wasn't for me. I walk away from Oscar saying, like, this was supposed to be for me. And they mm. didn't pull it off completely. Therefore, yes, I talked myself into it. Three stars for this one. <laughs> God bless. Yes. All right, Julio. So that concludes Doctor Who colon the movie. What's on deck next? Okay, on deck next, patron Paul, Filmbusters Paul, has picked the movie Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead, or is it Brain Dead, also known as Dead Alive? Either way, the the Peter Jackson movie. I don't know anything about this. I don't know what it is. I just know that uh, much like Doctor Who, Colin, the movie, uh, it's also hard to find. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that on uh, on our next episode. But which really surprised yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, you would think again. Going back to uh, you know, you talk about oh, why is why isn't everything that's Doctor Who related easy to to find since it's such a big franchise? Same thing. How is it that a movie? by Peter Jackson, beloved filmmaker Peter Jackson. Everybody loves him. Everybody, like, he is a powerhouse in the industry these days. How is it that one of his early movies is not easy to find? Mind-blowing. I guess it, it just the, the legal technicalities of it have to be, probably have something to do with it. So that's that's next. That's our, uh, our November bonus episode. All right, so that's what's on deck. Uh, closing out with our perennial plugs. As always, we give a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, yes, Hansworth Geeser. We've been saying his name a lot this episode. He uh, he not only requested the Doctor Who movie on the show, uh, he also has provided the logo for our show the graphics for our merch store, the graphics for our website, for our patron page. Very talented man, Hans, uh, in addition to being a Doctor Who fan. 
You can contact them at Mildemonios on Twitter. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, you can email him, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com, or you can check his webpage, Mildemonios.pe, if you want to check out his work. Uh, he's a writer, written a whole bunch of fantasy novels, a lot of zombie novels, and he's a podcaster. He has two podcasts, uh, Nación Combi and Marginal, about Peruvian current affairs and about economy. And, uh, and he's an artist, so shout him out. Tell him to uh, draw you a tomato dressed as Doctor Who <laughs> with a sonic screwdriver. Uh, Hans, thank you for all your support. And we also thank Zoe Perez for her support. Zoe helps curate our social media game, uh, does things that I always jest that Hulu and I are too old to figure out how to do, but it's the truth. If you haven't already, uh, facebook.com slash contrarianprime. Give us a like or a follow, whatever it is you do on Facebook. Uh, Zoe helps put together some exclusive videos and content for our Facebook page, as well as on our Instagram account, where you can find us at Contrarian Prime. Uh, some video clips, audio clips, interactive graphics, pictures from movies that we cover. Uh, Zoe helps put that all together for us. And Zoe, we are much appreciative of your support. So that concludes Doctor Who colon the movie. Hans, hope you like it as best you can. As Julio said, uh, switching gears to another fabled film from the 90s in Dead Alive. And the last time I tried to watch that, I had to turn it off because I was going to throw up. So we'll see how this viewing goes. That was uh, well over 10 years ago. So hopefully uh, my stomach's hardened a little bit since then. But that's next time. Uh, for now, we appreciate y'all tuning into The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And we will catch you next time. Thank you.